As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. If you've been looking for a newer certified Toyota, come be part of the team. With inventory arriving daily, we'll help you find a vehicle that works for your lifestyle and budget. We'll continue to ensure that your next buying experience is as safe and efficient as possible. Our service center is open with easy online scheduling and a quick clean process to get you back on the road safely. Head to teamtoyota.net and be safe, be strong, be a team. Well, if you are listening to this Phillies Talk podcast, you likely know that the postseason drought has reached 10 years. So goes another season. I'm Corey Simon. He's Jim Salisbury. And Jim, what a what a pathetic showing for the Phillies down in Atlanta in this all-important series that they had circled for months on the calendar. They go down. They don't hit. They're swept. And another year ends in disappointment. Yeah, they went to Atlanta down two and a half games. Uh, and frankly, they rolled over like an IRA. It was a completely dispiriting uh, performance, completely dispiriting effort. And I thought it was coming. I mean, I, I, I can't tell you. I thought they were going to get swept. I thought it was a possibility. I can't tell you I was sure they were going to get swept. But I, I just didn't feel like things were going to go their way. They needed a, they needed a, a sweep, and I just didn't think they were going to get it. Uh, because Sunday, Fan Appreciation Day, uh, they were shut out by the uh, lowly Pittsburgh Pirates. And honestly, they kind of looked like a dead team that day, a team that had run out of gas. And I just didn't think they could muster enough to um, to get over the Braves down there being two and a half games back because the Braves are, are such a professional team. Uh, they're so well led by Brian Snitker and Alex Anthopoulos and Freddie Freeman in the clubhouse and on the field. Uh, and they're such – dynamic young players. Uh, I just didn't see them fumbling this away. Uh, I thought the Braves could smell it, and I thought they were going to lock lock it down against the Phillies. And sure enough, um, they did. Uh, Phillies scored just six runs in that series. Uh, a couple late home runs on mistake pitches, that's fine. But they were completely manhandled in that series. The Braves pitched very, very well. The Phillies got a couple good starts. Uh, Nola's start was a quality start, technically. It didn't get off to a good start, but – Battled through, gave him uh, six. Wheeler was tremendous, but Charlie Morton was better. Um, uh, Max Fried was better. Ian Anderson was better. And the Braves are better. And um, looking at Thursday night's clincher, I thought there was a lot of symbolism in that in that game. Um, you know, the Phillies season gets off to so much uh, – uh, gets off to a start with so much promise and optimism as they sweep the Braves. Six months later, though, the Braves sweep – the Phillies um, to extinguish their playoff hopes and basically extinguish their season. You had Austin Riley, MVP candidate, um, belt a very important home run. 
Um, he was a guy that was on the board in 2015 when the Phillies drafted Cornelius Randolph. He went like 30 picks after Randolph. Uh, Ian Anderson obviously was on the board in 2016 when the Phillies selected Mickey Modiak. Uh, so in addition to drafting better and developing better than the Braves. Uh, so that's an example that the Braves obviously have drafted and developed better than the Phillies, but they've also made better trades. Dansby Swanson uh, had an RBI double in Thursday night's game. He came over in a trade. Ozzy Albies had a RBI triple. Um, the Braves have had more dynamic international signings than the Phillies. So in a lot of ways, um, Thursday night's game really spotlighted uh, some of the areas in which the Phillies trail the Braves. And uh, ultimately, the biggest one is in the win-loss column. The Braves are going to the playoffs. The Phillies are going home for a 10th straight season. Well, you know, down the stretch here, when it's mattered most, the Phillies just didn't do enough hitting. I know that they had a couple big nights here in September offensively against bad teams like the Cubs or the Pirates, and they had some big comebacks, again, against bad teams like the Orioles, Pirates, Nationals, and Cubs. But, you know, when it mattered most, when they went and they faced good pitching like Charlie Morton and Max Fried, the bats just weren't able to do enough. And Bryce Harper, who had carried this offense for months, he was probably due to have a couple bad days in a row. It was going to happen at some point. I mean, it's baseball. Nobody's perfect. And there was a point in this series and before Andrew McCutcheon's home run uh, Thursday night where the Phillies were 9 for 81 in the series, hitting 111. Uh, they finished the series hitting just 138. I would say that, you know, a big storyline here down the stretch is that behind Bryce Harper, there just was not enough protection. Uh, JT Real Muto had a, a decent season, but it was not – an exceptional season by any stretch offensively or defensively. Some of that was injury-based. Some of it wasn't. Uh, yes, the Phillies missed Reese Hoskins down the stretch too, but I just wonder, like, with a healthy Hoskins, would this be a playoff team or would they still have fallen a little short? Yeah, the lack of protection uh, behind Harper in that four-hole was a big problem. They really missed Reese Hoskins. They really became susceptible to left-handed pitching down the stretch. So, uh, yeah, it could have been a different story with Reese Hoskins. I don't know, but it certainly could have been. I, they would have been a better team. And, um, uh, you know, it could have been a different story uh, if they had Zach Eflin. Uh, just, you know, they bring in Kyle Gibson to be the number five guy at the break. And uh, you're like, hey, uh, you know, they got a little bit of a semblance of a rotation coming here. And all of a sudden they have to plug the last month with the bullpen because they because uh, they lost Zach Eflin. So there's a lot of ifs and buts. Um, Andrew McCutcheon to me, he said it the best after Thursday night's uh, elimination. He said it was in our hands and it slipped away. It was in their hands. Uh, they went on their best run of the season, won eight straight uh, to open the month of August, took over first place by two games on the Mets, two and a half on the Braves, and uh, subsequently lost 11 of 15. Uh, right about the time uh, Hoskins was getting hurt, and at that point they missed Eflin, and they uh, – and then they became a one-man show with Harper. And you're right, he can't do it all the time. Um, 0 for 11 in that series. It hurt. Uh, it, wasn't the, it wasn't the complete reason they, they lost that series, though. Uh, if it wasn't for Bryce Harper, that series probably means nothing to begin with. So um, we'll see what happens with the MVP vote. I think he's still strongly entrenched in that race. Um, he's got 99 runs scored, 99 walks uh, to go with his monstrous slugging numbers. I would imagine he, he'll play uh, at least a couple of games over the weekend, try to get those uh, milestone numbers. Um, but, you know, we'll see as they move on to Miami here. 
Yeah, they moved down to Miami. It feels like an appropriate place to end the season, given how lifeless the Phillies have looked this week. I mean, that's kind of the vibe that that stadium gives off. Uh, it, this series won't mean anything for the Phillies, but Ranger Suarez is still slated to pitch Friday. You think that as we sit here on Friday morning, Zach Wheeler is still going to make that final start on Sunday? I don't know. Um, he, too, is in a in a race for the Cy Young Award. He could go out there, pitch four or five innings, and and lower his ERA a little bit. He also go out there and pitch four or five innings and raise it, raise his ERA a little bit. Uh, he could go out there and pitch four or five innings on a heavy workload already leading the majors with uh, in, in innings pitched, a career high, um, over 210 now. Um, he could go out there and risk injury. If, if I was running the team, I would shake his hand and say, job well done, guy. Job well done. Thank you for everything. You pitched your ass off. Uh, you helped keep us in this thing. Uh, you got three more years left on your contract. We need to break this drought. Um, we're going to start your off season right now. Um, stretching, conditioning, recovery, whatever the heck you want to call it. Um, get get into that off season program. Come back next year and um, make another chase for Cy Young. Uh, I don't see any reason to put him on the mound except for uh, personal gain. And um, this is a team game, and you're already suffered the uh, ultimate indignity in, in, in bowing out 10 years in a row here. So I would end this season, but um, I wanted to ask that question to Joe last night, but in the zoom world, um, you, sometimes you only get a quick shot and uh, I couldn't get back into the, uh, into the line of questioning after that game, but curious to see what's going to happen. Um, I also think Wheeler deserves the respect to have some input in that decision. Um, but I, I would come down in, in, in the side of advocating and maybe encouraging him to, uh, you know, put his gym trunks on and, and his shower shoes and sit in the dugout and watch Sunday's game. Well, it was a great season for Zach Wheeler, great season for Bryce Harper, great season for Ranger Suarez, but really nobody else on the Phillies roster this year. And they have a lot of holes as they enter another important offseason. It's going to be the first full offseason where Dave Dombrowski can really put his, I guess, his um, – you know, his fingerprints on it. And he's already started to shake things up in the, in, in the front office. There was the, the big move this week, hiring a new uh, minor league director in Preston Mattingly. What did you make of that? Some of the most important positions in your franchise, are, you know, general manager, or club president of baseball ops, which Dombrowski is. Uh, so he comes aboard in, in December. He's new. Joe Girardi, uh, two years in, I mean, the big league manager is a crucial position. And, you know, and after that, uh, your farm director and your scouting director are just huge to a team's to where where a team is going. They have a relatively new farm uh, scouting director, scouting director, and Brian Barber came aboard two years ago in um, uh, from the Yankees. I like the work he's done in um, you know two drafts. One of them was an asterisk draft. It was they only made four picks because of the pandemic in 2020. But you know, I like a lot of the work they did in the 2021 draft. But it takes time to to find out. Um, um, and, and they've had some real poor drafts here, really stretching over, over 15 years that have really hamstrung this team, just have not gotten enough out of their number one picks. And you can't miss on your number one picks. They haven't gotten a lot, enough out of their number one picks really for a decade plus, uh, like 15 years. And when you, you look at uh, going back to like, you know, Joe Savory and Greg Golson and um, Shane Watson and Cornelius Randolph, uh, Mickey Moniak, uh, Adam Hazley, uh, uh, Jesse Biddle, uh, probably missing some here, but uh, other than Aaron Nola, um, 
can't think of uh, an, an impact number one pick. Uh, certainly Mick Abel, number one pick in 20 and uh, 2020 and, uh, and uh, Andrew Painter, the number one pick in 2021, have seem to have the ingredients to be impact guys, but it's going to take a while on the development curve, and that's where scouting goes hand-in-hand hand with player development. I mean, you, you need to go out and get those raw ingredients and, and, and uh, inject them into your system, and now you have to have a player development system that you trust that can, you know, take these um, talented young players and make them major leaguers and get them to the big leagues, and the Phillies have failed on that front big time as well. Um, you know, for, for the most part, you know, we've seen some recent examples, um, you know, promising guys like Scott Kingery have not panned out. Hazley has not, has gotten some shots has not panned out. Um, I think people will tell you Moniak uh, hasn't developed enough. I mean, maybe that was, uh, they, they overreached there on the pick. Uh, Alec Bohm has had his struggles. Um, I, though I still think there's a lot of talent there and I, and I believe in it. Um, but Clearly, uh, even Dave Dombrowski admitted uh, a month ago when he when he started blowing up that minor league system that they haven't done a good enough job there getting impact guys to the major leagues. Um, certainly, Reese Hoskins is homegrown, and that's a feather in their cap. And, and it, the way the team missed him this year down the stretch um, does tell you there have been success stories down there, but not enough of them. So um, Dombrowski blew things up. They have a lot of problems down there with clashing philosophies. You know, experienced instructors, old school instructors have been run off and uh, uh, replaced with uh, what I call technicians, guys that are more devoted to the science of developing players uh, uh, from a scientific and data and technology viewpoint. And there has to be a mix. Uh, that stuff is very valuable, but there's also no substitute for on-field repetition, for game repetitions, for, for struggling, for picking yourself up, for going out there and having good weeks and bad weeks, and, and then, you know, getting in the, in the laboratory, which really should be the field at 2.30 in the afternoon and working on things and seeing it get better at 7.30 at night. So uh, they have shaken things up pretty good down there. They've, um, they've now, you know, they, they, they've subtracted three high-level, um, high-ranking members of the player development department, and um, – they, they hired Preston Mattingly this week um, from the San Diego Padres to lead player development, uh, be their farm director, director of player development, whatever you want to call him. Uh, he's got a big job. He's got a big job. First of all, there's not enough, not enough talent down there. That's reflective of, of you know, poor player procurement. Not, not enough guys coming into the system through the draft and, and international signings. Um, not enough quality there. So, uh, but now they have to do a better job developing. He has to unite these kind of warring factions down there, the old school versus the new school. Uh, he has to build a staff uh, that I think needs to feature teachers over technicians. And um, we'll see if he can do that. Uh, to me, it's a very, very big job. Um, like I said, not enough talent there. So that's reflective on, on the people that are bringing them in. Uh, but, you know, not enough, um, not, not doing a good enough job developing these guys. My concerns is, Though he seems to have great credentials, a great resume, he seems to be a really big-time prospect, smart, creative, uh, baseball guy, comes from great baseball bloodlines, um, has worked in the front office for progressive thinking organizations, played pro ball. Um, you know, I see more of a, a history uh, or background in evaluation and uh, game planning, which he did uh, at the, for the Padres at the big league level, uh, advanced scouting, things like that. And that's all well and good. All that stuff plays in the player development. You need, to, you need to be able to evaluate a player so you can make a decision, okay, 
he's never going to get there. It's time to release him. You need to evaluate a player so you can say, okay, he's mastered this level. We need to move him. Okay, so you need to evaluate a player. Where do we start this guy? So player evaluation figures into the farm director's role every day. Um, but, you know, player development is a, a different, um, you know, a, a different undertaking. Uh, it's a different discipline. And I don't see really a player development background there. So there's going to be some learning curve for him. And um, honestly, that concerns me because we've seen, you know, a lot of inexperience um, come into this organization and a lot of learning curve applied. And, and to me, that slowed things down. Uh, so, you know, this is a team that needs to make a quick jump. They've, they haven't made the playoffs in 10 years. Uh, they're falling off the, um, the uh, radar screen radar screen in their own town in terms of, uh, you know, what the fans are paying attention to. Uh, I just think you need quick improvements. Uh, I think that maybe pointed to the need for a more experienced candidate, but they do have a very experienced guy, David Dombrowski, one of the most experienced in baseball running the show. He feels confident in this guy. Give him a shot. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what can happen. Uh, he's got a big job. Like I said, he's got, he's got good credentials. I see, um, you know, a whole, in player development, but that doesn't mean he can't fill in that hole quickly with support from, you know, guys like George Valandia, who I think is a very quality baseball man, who, um, who I think needs to have a big role in player development. He's familiar with the system um, and um, needs to uh, um, support, support this guy. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens, but, you know, I'm going to reserve judgment for a while here while acknowledging he seems to be a really good prospect. There's a ton of offseason ahead, and this offseason could end up being even longer than a typical one because of the uncertainty over the collective bargaining agreement. So we're going to discuss in at length, you know, the different uh, positions the Phillies need to address, the holes that they need to fill. But I'm just curious, as we sit here on October 1st, what you think the number one priority should be for the Phillies this offseason? Is it adding another big bat? Is it firming up the defense, which cost them really all season? Is it uh, adding relievers in bulk? What do you see as the biggest uh, area that Dave Dombrowski needs to address? Well, all of the above. <laughs> um, I still think he needs to churn and, 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 and uh, uh, develop a bullpen that's dependable um, and continue to bring in back-end guys that can lock down games. Uh, I think the need for a big bat or two is, is uh, huge. Um, it would be great to get a guy like Adam Duvall, I think, to play left field or Chris Taylor to play left field or Nick Castellanos. Um, That's the one. See, I think Nick Castellanos, Nick Castellanos would really make like a, a huge difference on this lineup. You know, bringing a big right-handed bat like that who hits for average and power, that would give you some actual legitimate protection for Harper. His contract situation is he has $34 million remaining over two years, but if he opts out of that, which he can – uh, he's going to yeah. cash in this offseason. So that was a guy that I had circled for sure. Yeah, it's a good year to uh, to uh, opt out on. Um, yeah, he's got uh, some history with Dombrowski uh, in Detroit. Um, he'd be a good one. Duvall, man. Duvall would kill this ballpark. And he's better defensively than people think. I love Chris Taylor, the energy, the, the production. Um, they could use a leadoff man. I, I think Taylor's hit leadoff at times. I don't know that he's a pure leadoff guy, a little bit of a free swinger, but um, they really could use a leadoff man, center fielder. They could use a big bat in left field. Um, just because of all, you know, shortstop to me is a big hole. What are you going to do with Deidre Gregorius? He, he signed for another year at 14 million. Do, do you move him to third base where maybe you can mask some of his uh, range problems? Possibly. Uh, then who plays uh, shortstop? 
is start ready. Um, he had a good year, good prospect. I tend to think he's probably not ready to throw into the fire in April. Uh, and I hear, you know, from people who watch him all the time, that he may be more of a second baseman or a third baseman. Uh, and you bring back Freddie, who frankly did not look good, uh, but I think he's playing hurt. Uh, and then what do you do with Alec Bohm? You need to have some young players in your in your lineup that are low salary guys because you have top heavy payroll. And and Bohm still has promise. Um, is he your third baseman? Is he your first baseman? Um, I don't know. Uh, is the DH going to be here? Is Hoskins going to be a part time DH, part time first baseman? Um, so it's going to be fascinating and it's going to be impacted by, we don't know if there's going to be some type of work stoppage, what that's going to do to the free agent market, what that's going to do to trades. Will spring training even start on time? Um, we're going to find out, but yeah, I, this offense has been, been so streaky and so inconsistent and you're so built around Harper. It would be great to have more. It would be great to have more above and below Harper. Um, I haven't crunched the numbers in the last couple of weeks, but when the last time I did, they had the lowest lead off uh, from their leadoff men, the lowest on base percentage in the majors. And from the number two men in the batting order, like the second lowest on base percentage in the majors, I can recrunch those numbers, but I'm pretty sure they probably haven't moved at all. So in other words, they're really, really low in on base percentage in the first and second spots in the lineup ahead of Harper. It would be great to augment ahead of him and behind him. Table setters that, you know, potential runs that he could drive in and a little more protection and thump um, for him or behind him uh, because he gets on base a lot. It'd be great to have a Castellanos or a Duval to, you know, to help clear those bases in the um, five, six area of the lineup. Uh, we still have Hoskins back. You still have Rio Mudo coming back. You can slide Rio Mudo into a maybe less pressurized role in the uh, spot in the batting order. So, yeah, Dombrowski has a lot of work left. I still think close is an issue. That's one of the reasons I really liked the idea of possibly getting Kimbrell uh, because it was going to give you a lockdown guy this year and next year because he was um, he was signed for 2022. But uh, a lot of decisions to make on internal guys that are going to be holdovers like Bohm, like Hoskins, um, like Gregorius, and a lot of decisions that they have to make on uh, on – on who to bring in um, because um, Dabrowski has sort of a two-pronged task here. He's trying to build a better baseball organization. And clearly he's got a lot of focus now on the minor league side um, and uh, player development, but he's also trying to juggle this other thing and not slip into a rebuild. He can't slip into a rebuild because they're just so top heavy with, with Harper, Wheeler, Real Muto, big, big paychecks. Uh, and teams with, with rebuilds or teams that are in rebuilds, they don't have those guys at the top of their roster. They get rid of those guys. And I don't see the Phillies getting rid of those guys. Um, so he needs to continue to add some underpinning under Harper and Real Muto and uh, Wheeler, Nola, uh, Hoskins to support that group to get them over the hump next year. So, um, you might be rebuilding the underpinnings of your organization, but at the big league level, you still try to win and they still have a long way to go to catch the Braves. Um, Mar the Marlins are getting better. Uh, the Mets, you know, they're, they're going to be a factor. They've had a very disappointing season. They're not going to sit on their hands. The Nationals seem to be ent entering a rebuild. 
Um, so there's still there's it's still a very challenging division, and uh, the Phillies need to improve their overall organization this winter, but and they also need to improve their big league roster because so much focus is on that big league roster. And ten years not making the playoffs, it just stings. It just stings. I'll tell you what, there's not a person down there at, at one Citizens Bank Parkway that is not embarrassed that this market size with the payrolls they have carried, you know, 200 plus million the last few years. They had that little pocket where they dipped during their rebuild. And then, you know, 12, 13 and 14, they were number three in payroll behind the Yankees and Dodgers. This team spent a massive amount of money the last decade um, on the field, on analytics, on everything else and, and not. Uh, seen anything um, to feel good about in terms of, you know, playing in October uh, at the big league level. And that's what matters. That's why you play the game, to win at the big league level. Joe Girardi said that last night. Um, it's all about winning. And when you don't win, uh, you know, his expression was you feel extreme disappointment. And I'm sure extreme disappointment is rippling through this organization this morning. And, and it should be. It, it should be. Because uh, market size like this, with the, uh, some of the talent on this roster, um, they needed to be better. But they didn't pick up the ball on defense. They blew a lot of saves in the bullpen. They had a sporadic offense. Um, guys like Aaron Nola had disappointing seasons. I mean, I look at that loss when Nola pitched the other night. He had all these games with one bad inning. So they lose the middle game down there in Atlanta. He has one bad inning. Odubel Herrera kicks the ball in center field. It was a bad play, cost them runs. So they played, you know, they had the Aaron Nola one bad inning syndrome. Bad defense, shoddy offense, bad bullpen work. It was sort of microcosm of the whole season. You you referenced the, the big payrolls at the beginning of the decade in 12, 13, and 14, and it just makes you realize, like, wow. So over the last 10 years, as the Phillies have been missing the playoffs, that's three years you mentioned at the beginning where they were a top three payroll. This season, they had the fifth highest payroll in all of baseball. Last season, they had the eighth highest payroll in all of baseball. So that's five out of the 10 years of the quote-unquote like rebuilding process that they've had a huge payroll and been unable to make it work. Uh, that just adds even more insult to injury. I mean, it's, it's not just that uh, this team fell short. It's that it fell short while going out and getting huge free agents and getting big performance from some of those free agents. But, you know, I guess it all circles back to not being able to develop enough of the young, inexpensive guys on your own. Just not, you know, they're just so top heavy. Harper has been, you know, he's been as advertised. He's been a difference maker. He might win the MVP award, which, you know, it's just to feel like you wasted another year of his prime. It makes you, uh, it, it's, it's, it's infuriating. I'm sure for, people who run that team and for people who care about this team, but um, it just shows you it's not a one man game. You know, it's not, you know, I mean, you follow the NBA, one player can really take a team to big heights. It doesn't happen that way in baseball. Uh, you need a full roster and there's such a drop off on their roster after the top few. Um, there's such a drop off in the bullpens, there's such a drop off. Um, at the end of the season, there was a huge drop off in the starting rotation. Um, it was, it just, it was a sad situation that they, they didn't have enough pitching to get through the season. And I've seen that happen to Phillies teams before. I've seen that happen to other teams before where you just run out of starting pitching because you have injuries and whatnot. I've never seen it happen with five weeks to go. I've seen it happen with five days to go, not five weeks to go. And, um, you know, they, they signed, uh, Chase Anderson and Matt Moore to be their four and five and neither one of them 
could hold that job and, and, and rightfully lost their jobs because of performance. Vinny Velasquez, who was on his sixth try, jumps in. He can't hold it. Um, and then so when Zach Eflin gets hurt for the, you know, hurts his knee and is out for the season, you got nobody to come and, and replace him. Uh, nobody down there could come and replace him. So, again, because <clears throat> all the pieces fit, not bringing enough talent into the organization, what you're bringing in, you're not getting to the big leagues and, and, and helping that big league club. And, and, and for that reason, uh, you're, you're looking at, um, you know, a bullpen that has had two really rough years having to plug five starts down the stretch. Uh, it just don't work. So need more. You need more raw ingredients. You need to do a better job shining up those raw ingredients, getting them to the big leagues. So you have um, a team to build around the Real Mudos and the Harpers and the Wheelers. Uh, and then the guys that are here, like Nola, Nola needs to rebound, and, and, and he's better than what he showed this year. He needs to rebound and have a better season next year. Other guys as well. And um, we'll see how Dave Dombrowski brings that all together this winter. I know he's, um, he's been doing it a long time, and he's been doing it really well. Um, but he's got a big challenge here. A lot was made this season of the Phillies pitching staff struggles with two strikes on hitters. And there's been a lot made over the last couple of years of JT Real Muto's game calling. I wonder how much of a role you think he plays in that, uh, in, in terms of maybe not putting down the right sign there with two strikes versus the pitcher just missing location. Obviously, every single instance could be different, but what do you think of Real Muto's game calling behind the plate? Well, I think it's fair very fair to question it. Um, and it's, it has been questioned. Um, yeah. You, you wonder about it. Um, there you'll hear people say that Andrew Knapp, the backup is, is a better game caller. Um, but, you know, I always think sometimes it doesn't matter what you put down if you execute the pitch. Uh, and I just see so many pitches over the heart of the plate. And that, to me, that comes down to the pitcher, um, with, you know, with two strikes, you gotta, um, the number one thing a pitcher can do is locate. I mean, you can tell a hitter what's coming, that you're going to throw him a fastball. And if you locate it down and away, it's going to be a ground ball to second base or a ground ball to shortstop if you locate it down and away. It's just they miss over the heart of the plate so often. Aaron Nola misses over the heart of the plate with two strikes, 0-2. I mean, so often. This has been happening for several years. So, yeah, definitely fair to to point to, to Real Muda on some of that. They're going to have to uh, – you know, I don't know what the answer is. Um, you know, uh, you know, a lot of times you, you want that chase with two strikes and, um, and they just don't get it. Um, so maybe they have to just go back to trying to locate something um, old standby, like something like a down and away fastball. And the last thing I just wanted to discuss here before we get out is Joe Girardi, uh, after Thursday night's game, said that he feels like he failed. That was his quote. I feel like I failed. Um, how much of this do you pin on Joe Girardi? And do you, we talked about this a few weeks ago about his future and whether or not he'd be back for a third season as Philly's manager. Uh, what do you make of the job he did this season and the organization's interest in retaining him for that role? Well, I believe he's coming back. I, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I mean, every indication I've received is that he will be back. I think everybody acknowledges Joe didn't have a great year. Um, and, you know, when the manager – when a team loses, yeah, the manager has to shoulder some of that blame. Just like when a team wins, the manager has to get some of the credit. Um, you know, Gabe Kapler, they didn't make the playoffs here. They struggled here. He shouldered a lot of the blame. He, he paid for it with his job. 
And now he's in San Diego, um, San Francisco. He's going to win the manager of the year. He's got a 100-win team going to the playoffs. He deserves a lot of that credit. So that's the way a manager goes. That's the way a leader of any group, any group dynamic goes. The leader gets, the leader gets, um, you know, he gets, um, he's, he's faulted when they stink. And uh, when, when objectives are, are um, reached, he gets backpats. So, yeah, Joe deserves um, some of the blame here. Um, I thought a lot of his bullpen moves were suspect. Uh, sometimes his usage in the bullpen uh, and his, uh, his rest patterns um, were somewhat infuriating. Um, you know, that said, he had, uh, you have to also look at the personnel he had down there. Uh, he's not the reason that that you know Alvarado is uh, an adventure with at a hundred at 101 miles an hour. Um, you know he's not the reason that Hector Neris gets nervous in the ninth inning, uh, but he put Hector in a, a spot that worked down the stretch, uh, more of a setup role, and Hector did a good job. Also started throwing his fastball more. It looked like um, they you know finally using his fastball to set up his. Uh, his splitter instead of vice versa, where it looked like the whole world knew it was just going to be splitter, splitter, splitter. So, um, yeah, I'm, I do think the number one thing on a team always is, is the players. And, and we, we blame management and uh, far too often. Uh, players have to play well. Players have to execute. Uh, and it just wasn't enough of that on this team. Um, the defense was poor. That's a, that's a bad reflection on a manager. Uh, but he can't catch the ball for you. But, you know, that's manager speak. They, they put their hand up and they say, you know, they take the blame because you, you don't want to put it on the players because that's how you lose a clubhouse. You got to you got to take care of their egos. And uh, but it was a full team effort here. Joe didn't have a great year in the, in the dugout um, and uh, they didn't perform well enough on the field. And Dave Dombrowski only got here in in December and was forced to kind of get leftovers and in, in, um, guys like um, Moore. And um, and Anderson with a full off season, I think he'll have more of an impact, uh, Dombrowski, and then maybe we'll see a better performance next year. But in terms of um, you know spreading out blame, uh, it, it, you know it lands in all all spots, all corners of the organization. It really does, because you know moves you make in player development three and four years ago, moves you make in scouting three three and four years ago, they affect you in the big leagues now. So it's a full team effort. It's a full te- full team effort, and to, to get this franchise rolling and, and back to where it was, it's going to take uh, improvement in, in all corners of the organization. Sure is. Well, thank you for sticking with us all season long. Maybe one of these years, the season will end a little bit differently. Uh, the Phillies Talk podcast is not going anywhere. We're going to be really looking at uh, the off season ahead and recapping what we just saw. I mean, we'll put a bow on this early next week, and then there's a lot to look forward to in terms of who the Phillies need to add, uh, who who's probably gone, and you know what happens around the division leading into 2022. So thanks a lot for listening as always. He's Jim Salisbury. I'm Corey Seidman. We'll catch you next week.